You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Today we are discovering Erewhon Secrets, how a health food sect beloved by hippies is now the most culty grocer in LA, Oreo's biggest scandal yet, shrinkflation, and why regenerative farming is taking hold in conservative pockets of America. Welcome to Discover Ag, where food meets pop culture. I'm Natalie, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And I'm Tara, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And every week we bring you the top stories in the food and ag space that you need to know. And I just want to start by saying happy Thanksgiving to our turkey-loving discos. I hope that you guys are having an amazing Thanksgiving with friends and family and all the food. I also feel like we should give a disclaimer a little bit because we just got done recording our personal episode, which comes out on Tuesday, and we've been drinking wine. So just bear with (laughs) us a little bit, okay? (laughs) We're in the holiday spirit. (laughs) Yeah, happy holidays. Hopefully you're listening to this like post, you know, your Thanksgiving meal, post Thanksgiving nap, and now you're having a great time. I will say I have a hot take and it's going to be controversial and I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it. I think that homemade mac and cheese at Thanksgiving is the worst side and I don't understand why people don't just let Kraft mac and cheese do its thing. Is that a common Thanksgiving side? Yeah, I think so. No, is it not? I feel like it is. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I just think, okay, well, apparently I'm wrong, but I just feel like gourmet mac and cheese, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why people go to all that work. I'm like, the kids don't want it. They just want the Kraft mac and cheese. Can we just serve that as a side? This honestly might be the most we've ever disagreed about a complete topic ever. Oh, because like not only stand? do I, well, I'm not a stan, but I would definitely, if I had to choose between craft and a homemade, I would take the three cheese mac and cheese that's different noodles and four cheeses over craft 100% every time. Wow. Thought you think you know a person and yeah. you learn this. <laughs> and then this happens. And you guys, if we don't record an episode next week, just know we're still fighting over the mac and cheese. And that is why we are delayed at getting another episode out. I don't know. I'm just like Kraft mac and cheese got it down. I like kind of like, you know, do a little extra to craft, add a little cream cheese, add a little extra cheese and it comes out great. The kids love it. I just am not going to the work of doing a gourmet mac and cheese. But I guess to your point, apparently that's not something you eat at Thanksgiving. No, not in our household and neither household, like Luke's family or my family. Okay. Well, never mind. I mean, well, I guess my family doesn't really do it either, but I feel like when I go to other people's, it's there. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Okay. Well, (laughs) (laughs) my grandma used to bake her mac and cheese. Oh yeah. Like and do like a breadcrumb on top or something or it's like baked in. So you do that with Kraft? Mm-mm. Okay, no, I'd rather so have I feel like you're wishy-washy on your statement here. Nope, nope, nope. Just want that. That's all I want. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I think I found you in a vulnerable spot. <laughs> okay, on that, I'm just going to go ahead and move forward because I don't want to fight with you about this. Uh, today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Case IH. Case IH isn't just built by farmers. It's sold, supported, and serviced by them, too. The men and women at your local Case IH dealerships understand what it takes to overcome the challenges of farming because they do it every day just like you, which means they're the right people to help you find the equipment you need. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to learn more. Case IH is built by farmers. And I have to tell you guys, Daniel has been demoing a Case tractor, and he told me last night, I think I'm going to lease it. He's in love with it. I don't think he's going to give it up, so... There's that. We're all red around our ranch too. Yeah. 
quality tractors. So thank you, Case, for um, supporting the Discover Ag podcast. And doing the mostest from the podcast all the way out into the field. Yep. Before we dive into today's topics, I want to remind you guys of a couple different things, a little housekeeping. First off, we are leaning into our newsletter. We're going to start doing it weekly now instead of monthly. So there's going to be a lot dished over there. It's going to be simple, clean, easy to read. It'll hit your um, inboxes every Monday and it will essentially be our favorite things, kind of like what we're reading, listening to, watching, buying, cooking, like all the different things that we are, you know, that are hot that week, essentially. So sign up for it in the link in our show notes. And then also, if you guys could take a moment and leave us a review, it would mean so much to us as well as screenshot this, share it with a friend, tell someone to listen to it, share it to your social channels. Um, just help us continue to build the Discover community. All right. With housekeeping over, we will dive into the first article to Discover this week, title Air One Secrets. In the 1960s, two macrobiotic enthusiasts started a health food sect beloved by hippies. Now it's the most culty grocer in LA. I know. I cannot believe this grocery store has been open for 57 years because I feel like when you get into this article, you're like, oh, like a trendy, like quote unquote trendy, like hippie grocery store that is just popping up just now. I think that's kind of what I went into it thinking it was a little bit. But no, this is like a cult following in LA. They just opened a grocery store in Pasadena and it's it's really crazy. I went on their website, which is maybe where I want to start. Um, and right now you can actually order like your Thanksgiving dinner through them and a fully cooked organic free range turkey, which if you listen to last week's episode, all turkeys are free range, $225 just for the turkey. Yeah. So that can be a little avenue we go down is the prices of Erwan because I definitely think that's what it is well known for. It is, I would say like TikTok famous, right? And so I also thought it was a new grocery store just kind of developed. Um, as you mentioned, it's only California based. They have 10 stores, but it's all in the Los Angeles County. So they have not really developed or gone anywhere, not out of state and not even out of the, um, County, which I think is really interesting, but it's described as a luxury Los Angeles based supermarket that is, um, buzzy for its celebrity loved Uber expensive products. So you mentioned, you know, the Turkey specifically actually have a video I want to play for you guys. That's absolutely insane. I found it on TikTok. Um, but they have like $20 strawberries and they have an elevator to take to it. They do valet parking. So there's definitely like a vibe to this grocery store. I think LA is very much like flaunt your wealth. Like it is. And so this is a piece of that. Like there was a quote in there that said, oh, you make a uh, half a million dollars a year. Well, then you should be at Whole Foods. Like you need to be richer than that to go to this grocery store. Yeah, I will say that it is often like celebs are cited walking in and out of it. They often collab with different celebrities. Like right now, I think Hailey Bieber has their smoothie there. I know Kourtney Kardashian has. So it's definitely almost like a status to be able to shop at this Air One. Per the website, just to give you guys a little bit more background on it, it is, um, quote, proud to be a certified organic retailer and certified B corporation. They say that since the late 1960s, we have been uncompromising in the commitment to providing foods and products that change the lives of our customers. We are more than your local grocery store. We are a community of people who are united in our love for pure products that protect the health of people and our planet. 
So their mission statement is we do the research so you can shop with confidence. But I will say underneath what you just read, there was like a whole list of all the things they have like non-GMO, blah, blah, you know, all the things you would expect to see. But there was, uh, if you're a disco, you would get on that list and say, ooh, there's some contradicting things and just some greenwashing and labeling and different things that are going on. I will say all of their products are labeled like under their grocer name, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I the more I dove into them, the more greenwashing, label marketing, and the, what this article called, I'm kind of a fan of it. They called a grocery store of verbs. Everything in the store is functioning, activating, building, oxygenating, restoring. Like they just market based off of this wordy health promise, essentially. And then they ask you to pay a lot of money for it. So this article is about a new one opening, as we mentioned. And so they invited influencers there the night before to have like a whole like grand opening. But as someone was standing in line, one of the quotes I loved, it was like, why have you been standing in line for four and a half hours? And she said, why? Great question. Content. Like it is about this whole like being able to post about it. Like there's Instagram worthy moments inside the store. It is a 20,000 square foot beautifully lit grocery store. There's actually a chef online. She is both on TikTok and Instagram. She goes by Chef Bay and she is a celebrity chef and she'll do Airwan videos where she's like, how much will a thousand dollars get me at Airwan? Or like, let's make a, you know, $500 peanut butter and jelly sandwich at Airwan. So it really is, I almost feel like famous based off of the content because going, I guess, out of the background about the store and more into this article, they talked about the origin of it. And it was this couple a Japanese woman named Abilene, and then the man she married named, is it Michio? Michio? Yeah. Is that how you say it? Let's let's say yeah. Okay. And essentially, they believed in this diet um, that is labeled macrobiotic. And if you Google that, it's a diet that aims to avoid foods containing toxins. And so they walked through this history of these two meeting and essentially how in Massachusetts, they kind of went from ordinary jobs into what they called macrobiotic education, where they would like in one sense, create this cult around people from all over the world coming to live and be educated by them and practice their standards around their food beliefs. And then because of their such stringent food beliefs, they ended up kind of purchasing food for themselves that turned into this grocery store. Yeah. So back in Japan, she was actually part of like a sect or a religion around food. And it was basically to ensure, quote unquote, world peace, eat more whole grains. Sugar was poison. Vegetables were good, though never eggplants or potatoes. And meat was absolutely out of the question. Yeah, they really, I would say, were attached to and lived this lifestyle, this diet. They were preaching that it could... um cure AIDS at one point, that it would cure any malady. They talked about cancer a lot. So they really truly believed that this was the way to live and the best way to live. So going back to their timeline, they actually got shut down by the FDA. The found- Their foundation did because I think of some of these claims that they were promoting and this lifestyle they lived. So it was just really interesting to me because they, the article talked about how At that time, the 50s and 60s, it was really like the age of white bread and Twinkies and like food additives. And there weren't like, quote unquote, natural stores. And so they really were kind of like unintentionally leading the revolution in this into like what it, I would say, 
most people practice around food beliefs today, they were thinking in the 50s and 60s, whether it was right or wrong, that's where they were. They were very far ahead of their time in this belief. Yeah, it does make a ton of sense when you think about it, because I feel like not even that long ago, I feel like 30 years ago, like in the 90s, like if you wanted quote unquote health foods, you went to like a health food store, which was not like a grocery store. And now when you think about like the whole foods of the world, it is like a phenomena that you go and do. And so they were very, very much ahead of their time. Um, When the woman who founded this moved to the United States, she said there's no good food in America. That's like her famous quote. Um, Some other really great quotes that I have is that one woman moved from Harlem to L.A. just so that she could have an Air One grocery store. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, cult is the right word. Cult is absolutely the right word. But I'm not going to lie. I've had moments in my life been like, I'm going to move to a place where there's an H-E-B. I'm like an (laughs) H-E-B stan. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Another great quote from a TikToker. (laughs) This just sums up TikTok for me. This is one of the 400 influencers that got invited to the ribbon cutting the night before. Direct quote. I feel so grateful and blessed to have been invited to this. (laughs) (laughs) I love the quotes. They're just hysterical what people have to say about this. Like they are just so into it. I want to play this Chef Bay TikTok because I think you all will drop your jaw at what she's talking about and how much money she spent on it. Okay. All the time if the $30 bottle of water from Erewhon is worth it. It's from Ophora. It is nanopure, restructured, hyper-oxygenated. I must say it tastes like water. <laughs> it tastes like water. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like <laughs> hackling into the mic right now. Uh, the nanopure, restructure, hyper-oxygenated $30 bottle of water tastes like water. I hate to break it to you all. Like that's what's being marketed and sold at Erewhon to like further paint this picture. And I feel like, you know, knowing what we're going to talk about at South by Southwest, we should probably buy some tickets to LA, head on over to the local Erewhon. And I think we'd get a lot of content for things to talk about on stage at South by Southwest of when it comes to how to market things and what people are paying for. There was a TikTok where a gal went in there to say she was able to do it, kind of like you were talking about. And she grabbed two things, two cartons of strawberries. She's like, there was no price. So I didn't know how much they were. $40. She's like, I spent $40 on basically a handful of strawberries. Oh my God. I wish you guys could see my face. I literally, my mm-hmm. jaw just dropped. Wouldn't you die? I'd be like, um, I got to return that. I got to put that back. It would be like that awkward moment being like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean, mean to pick that, that up. My, <laughs> my kid put that in the car. You know what? We're allergic. I'm actually just going to return it all. <laughs> What's the return policy on the lettuce I just bought? Oh my gosh. I feel like that like is so, uh, it would be like being in Costco, except for Costco gives you like enough groceries to last a month, but where you get the Costco bill at the end. I know you don't go to Costco, so this may not be like relevant for you, but I'm like, I used to, you see it like racking up and you're like, (laughs) and you have to remind yourself, you're like, I'm going to feed my whole family. (laughs) You're like, breathe in one, two, three, four and out two, three, four. (laughs) So anyway, I think we should head to Malibu in the next, you know, couple months. Yeah, I love that for us. Okay, so something that actually is worth the hype is Armra. We've shared about Armra before, but it is a colostrum that you add into your cold beverages or, as I do, shoot it straight. And it has so many great benefits. And I'm telling you guys right now, if you have been thinking about trying Armra, now is the time. So they are having a huge Black Friday sale and a Cyber Monday sale. It is only... $39.99 
November 21st through November 27th. So if this is coming out on Thursday, that gets you through Tuesday. So do not wait around. Go and get on this Black Friday sale. Our code will not work for this, but you will click the link in our show notes to be able to purchase and you will use the discount code HOLIDAY20, which will get you 20% off one-time orders or HOLIDAY40 for 40% off your first auto ship order. So if you've been on the fence about it, this is their biggest sale they've ever had. So click the link in our show notes and then use code HOLIDAY20 or HOLIDAY40, depending on what you're buying. Yeah, we're armrest stands at this point. We've been taking it consistently for probably close to two months, I would say. I kind of lost track because I just do it every day. It's absolutely part of my routine. It's something I won't break. And I think it really pays off like from an immune standpoint and other benefits as well. But it's just such an easy thing to implement. And we know and believe in the power of um, colostrum. So I don't know. I'm just happy Armour like stumbled into our lives essentially. Uh, yes, 100%. I feel like I've become such a fan of it. Um, fun little story. Annalise, I've been sneaking it into her chocolate milk and she's been drinking it. And Guinevere only drinks water. So I've been having a harder time sneaking it into anything for her. And recently we had a virus go through our family and Guinevere got sick. And Annalise is my kid that always gets sick. She did not. I did not get sick. And I'm like, Guinevere, you got to start drinking the armor. A-R-M-R-A, Guinevere. That spells Armra. Spells Armra. Start drinking it. (laughs) Oh, all right. Code Discover. Oh, no. Well, if you guys miss the sale for some reason, Code Discover gets you it at any other time at a discount. So remember that as well. All right. Moving into the second article to discover this week, title, The Biggest Shrinkflation Scandal Yet. Oreo fans think cookies have less filling. Snackmaker says it has tinkered with cream ratio, but suspicious consumers are on high alert. It is called the cookie conspiracy. But before mm. we get into it, I have to ask, what is your go-to Oreo? Oh, I would 100% double stuff. Is that what you're asking about? Between yeah. like single and double? any other option? Like why is everyone not just like double stuffing it at this point? When I see other options on the shelf, I'm like, why is this still available? But I will say my favorite is the Halloween ones. And I know it's the same recipe, just dyed with orange food coloring, but it tastes different. I mean, you're going to be probably not surprised with this, but I don't remember the last time I've bought an Oreos. Probably. What? It's on my weekly grocery list every (laughs) single week. Listen, if I have Oreos in my house, I will do a full line myself. And then a kid will come behind me and do a full line themselves. And then another kid will do a full line. You sound like you're doing like crack cocaine. That's what it's like. Okay. (laughs) Lines. Lines in the Kaborik house. And it's not good. So I just can't tempt myself by putting them in the household. But in college, they were absolutely my favorite. I remember this boy that liked me would buy them for me and bring them to me. And it was so sweet. It was so great. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. If that is not like the epitome of our relationships now, like in college, a boy could buy you Oreos and you'd be thrilled. And now Luke has to Mm -hmm. get you a subscription to like Ballerina Farms Flowers Monthly. And that (laughs) is considered sweet. We really stepped up our game. I mean, I've matured, matured with my age. (laughs) All right. Getting back into this article, though, the first place I actually heard about it. It was from Liz on the Carpool podcast. And I feel like she was ahead of her time with this article coming up because that was a while ago. And they did like a whole deep dive on this. And now it's like a huge like Reddit thread that's everywhere that people are saying there's not as much cream in the middle of an Oreo. I mean, it's kind of offensive. I can see why it is gaining traction. But they did interview a specific Oreo cookie lover. 
And it was just a fun article to read. I feel like the person who wrote it was very witty, very clever. And they talk about how, you know, settle in and imagine this. You jab a fork into the cookie's cream filling to dunk it into a glass of milk. The cookie breaks. He turns to his wife and he says, the cookie that could even offend the twist and shout. The twin chocolate wafers were smeared just with a thin coat of cream, far less, he says, than the typical blob he is used to. Is it a fluke or not? Are they doing it to us on purpose or not? Can I just tell you, who do they find to interview for this? I don't know. (laughs) Where do you find someone that feels so passionately? Like, maybe they're on the Reddit thread or something, but I'm just like, where do you get these people? Uh, one of his quotes in there was, I even called my mom to complain about it because I yeah. needed to vent. And I was like, if there is not a more millennial statement that has ever happened, like I had to call my mom and tell her that Oreo is um, ruining my life. One of my favorites, they talking about who they found. Beverly Cooper, age 60 of Lincoln, Nebraska, putting Nebraska on the map, okay? She says, my husband and I have withstood changes to many of our favorite foods recently from cereal to ice cream. But finding what appeared to be a downsized dusting of cream in my double stuff Oreo last month, just the last straw. It's a sign of times, Cooper said. This is the way the world is now. <laughs> this is the way the world is, is people feel so passionately about Oreo cookies. But I will say the company says that even though there's been inflation, they have not made big changes to the product, but they welcome feedback from fans on how to make it better. So they are standing by that it's exactly the same. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Cookie company, if you want to make it better, you just put more cream in it. You make it all the way to the edges. You make it taller and thicker, and it's just more cream. That's the magic equation, the answer. Yeah, so there's even scandals about that, though, because double stuffed implies that it's double the cream. It's actually not. It's only (gasps) 1.38. That's appalling. Yeah. So just there's disappointment going all around. I ended up this article had a video linked by a food scientist that was talking about like what's in an Oreo and it ended up watching that video. Did you watch that video? No, I didn't. Tell us. Oh, well, it was kind of, uh, I mean, I only watched like half of it, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> but there's no dairy in it. And they're talking about that. It's and vegan. then it was getting really, yeah, it was getting really scientific about how they were mixing like sugar with oils and this like solic acid that allows the basically water and the oil com- kind of the, or the oil and the non-oil components to like be emulsified together into that cream. And it was just getting really complicated and that's coming from a pharmacist, but that I couldn't, you know, withstand the whole video. But again, going back to jobs, we don't think about or talk about, you know, like food scientists and, you know, who gets to play around with the different cookie ratio and like the filling and I don't know when it comes to all of our foods, the people behind them. It's kind of interesting. We shouldn't technically call the middle part cream because it's not, it's vegan. But I will say if you are eating an Oreo and not dunking it in milk or adding it to ice cream, like what are you right. doing? Right. Uh, the final quote from the article was consumers get particularly feisty when they suspect tinkering with an iconic brand. <laughs> Understatement of the year. On a serious note, I remember listening to an episode by our good friend, um, Caroline, for her podcast. She was wisely, and she's talking about how one of the things as consumers in the USA, we are very fortunate to have consistency when it comes to our food, right? So when we go to the grocery store, we know that we can grab for our favorite loaf of bread or our favorite cheese or whatever it is, and it's not going to be in variation from the form before. And I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I hear a lot about like, we're lucky to have quality 
you know, we're lucky to have quantity. And I've never thought about like the consistency portion too that like US gives our food supply. Yeah, I do think there's something to be said for that as far as our products like that um, it is like you can go in and get the same product and guarantee like even like fruits and vegetables, which gets into a whole nother conversation about like food waste. But like if you pick typically if you pick up a tomato, the one next to it is almost exactly the same. Like with all the things we've done in agriculture, we have made like replicable products over and over again. Okay, so moving on from that, we are actually bringing on a new sponsor today, which I'm going to let Natalie share a little bit more about them because she has uh, more information than I do. But we are bringing on Land Trust. Land Trust is an easy-to-use online marketplace that generates income for landowners and provides recreational opportunities for outdoor enthusiasts by connecting them to each other. So if you are a sportsman or you are a hunter and you are looking for land to be able to go hunt on, you can go onto Land trust.com. Um, and if you are a landowner, you can go onto landtrust.com to list your uh, property. And so there are hundreds of landowners that are using this site uh, that are fourth, fifth, or even sixth generation. They currently have over 1.3 million acres on land trust. And so it is a very like do-it-yourself booking experience. They're in over 40 states. And so I'll let you jump in there. But I know um, I've been talking with Daniel about getting a bunch of our property listed on here as well. Yeah, so we have actually been working with Land Trust for two years now. Um, it originally started with a social media campaign they wanted us to use, and then we end up just sticking with them because they really are that great of a company. And I think they offer that great of a service, as you mentioned, to both the people who are trying to find land access and then to the landowners. So if you're a landowner, you know everyone is always coming to you for hunting, right? And I think one of the big conundrums that we have or barriers is, you know, like insurance and liability and the time to manage and just like all the admin and back end that goes into trying to make money off of this asset you have, this land. And that is something that Luke and I have like never wanted to deal with. And I would argue that a majority of landowners don't want to deal with, like they don't want to have to worry about liability or take the time out of whatever there's like the, the other reason they're using the land for, you know, to try and management for this offer. And Land Trust has been phenomenal. I mean, you they can set up your website for you if you want to. You, I mean, you could set it up for yourself if you're kind of particular. But I just, they asked me questions. I answered them and they set it all up for us. They vet all the people. They interview them. They go through them. They um, cover all the insurance. I mean, it is truly so easy. Like all you have to do basically as a landowner is say, we're interested in making income off our land. Here is the different land areas that we'll put out, you know, for access. Um, here's our stipulations with them. Like they're down as far as like parking, walking in and out. Can you camp there? Like you can specify whatever you want about having people come on your land. And it's been really great. I mean, we don't use it at, I wouldn't say we make it like a major income, like arm for our operation, but we still, we had a hunters here. I don't know, like three weeks ago, they were from Pennsylvania. They came down, Luke met him on the first day, kind of showed him the different spots. And then it was like hands off. And so we still earn an income from it. So depending where you are of how much money you want to make, you can really take it from one end of the spectrum to the other. And Land Trust is there to essentially hold your hand the entire time. That's amazing. I'm excited to continue sharing about them in the coming months. So stay tuned. I know it's hunting season right now. It's in full swing. So we will have more information from them. Uh, the next person that we want to give a little shout out to is The Good Dirt. The Good Dirt podcast is a sustainable living explained. It is a hopeful podcast with living slowly. The Good Dirt is a production of Lady Farmer, a sustainable apparel and lifestyle 
lifestyle brand founded in 2016 by a mother-daughter duo. The Good Dirt podcast explores all aspects of sustainable lifestyle with healthy soil as a touchpoint and a metaphor for the healing of our relationship with the planet. Mother and daughter team, Mary and Emma, bring you weekly interviews with farmers, artists, authors, leaders in the regenerative and sustainable living space. So go and give them a listen if you are looking for some more, you know, regenerative and sustainable ag podcasts. All right, getting into our last and final article to discover this week, titled Why Regenerative Farming is Taking Hold in Red America. In some conservative pockets of the U.S., farmers are embracing regenerative practices. Just don't ask them to make it political. This article is really fascinating. They interviewed a couple of farmers, and I really, as always, appreciated their perspective and input. Uh, the farmer, the main farmer of this article, was sharing about his nature-based interventions that he has implemented on his property. It's an older property. They have done clusters of honeybee hives. They have native plants and uh, wildflowers and just all sorts of things that they have implemented on their maybe more conventional farm originally to kind of transition it into a regen farm. So it's from the perspective of that farmer, just for some context. So what were your overall thoughts of this episode or not episode, this article? Like, did you like it or not like it? I don't think I, for me, it wasn't a liking or not liking. It was very mixed. I agreed heavily with their comments about how farmers have been doing things to be more sustainable and be more regenerative for decades. Um, and now some farmers are choosing to label themselves as such. So I liked the reflection on that, but I don't know. I, I have a mixed bag. I feel, feel like my brain is going in a million different directions of where I want to go. So you jump in. Tell me what your thoughts are. I think I had a hard time sorting my feelings through it. That, Like you said, there were parts I was reading where I really enjoyed and then there were parts that maybe didn't set well. I feel like maybe the article was like a backhanded compliment. Like that's how I felt about it. Like on one hand, I was like, oh, you're being, wait, are you being nice? Like I'm actually, I'm confused. You seem to be nice. And with well intentions, but now I'm not sure. And I also think I struggled to understand what the actual point of the article was. Like, why did they write it? What was the intention of it? Because again, I felt like on one hand, he was highlighting some really great things. But on the other hand, I was like, is it in a derogatory way, kind of? Or are you painting the American farmer and rancher in kind of a miscued light? I mean, I think it goes back to a conversation we so often have, especially when we're guests on other podcasts, um, about farmers labeling themselves as regenerative. Like in my mind, I think I read pieces that I was like, yeah, lots of farmers are doing regenerative practices. And that doesn't mean they label themselves as regenerative. And I think this is something I've told you that I even struggle with when we're on podcasts. I'm like, we have lots of regenerative quote unquote practices, and yet we are very much a conventional dairy farm. And so I feel like this article did highlight for me that when we label ourselves, I wonder if it does more harm than good. Because I think if I was a consumer reading this, I would read it as like, oh, so there's some farmers out there doing the most and they're regenerative and there's others just not doing it at all. When in reality, they even said like lots of farmers are implementing a, a number of these different practices. Yeah, I actually talk about the, are we doing more harm by laboring ourselves in my keynote? I have so many. I think that's why this article like really struck with me is because I talk so in the weeds about this in my keynote. And this was a very, I feel like surface level conversation, which you have to essentially be to do, you know, an article. But for everyone listening, the article, what I took from it is essentially the author was saying how 
there's a lot of farmers doing regenerative practices that don't necessarily do it because they believe in climate change or because I don't know. I see, like, I, I don't quite get it. They, he, he talked a lot about how, if you, how, if you, the way you position to a farmer matters. So if they were there, they interviewed a uh, research scientist who said she sent out a survey and asked if they used or would be interested in using a number of climate positive farming interventions, you know, agroforestry, cover crops, buffers without leaning on the word climate change. And she said, we got a tremendous response from all of the farmers who sent it to you. Now she said, not only were people already doing them, but it was a real hunger for doing more if there were funding and technological assistance available. She said, we also knew that if we sent out a poll to farmers saying, do you want to be a climate protection farmer? They would have gotten a very different result on the survey. Yeah, that whole part of it, I felt like there was like two articles almost running in parallel with this. It was like, what are farmers doing to be more regenerative? And then how do farmers feel about climate change? I don't know. Like it was, I don't know. That's I think why I'm so having a hard time like kind of dissecting this article. Um, But yeah, that was a big focus is like, how do farmers feel about like the wording climate change and that regenerative ag practices are for that? And they said if they said climate positive farming, was a better effect than just the word climate change. And I think it actually, though, is a testament to the fact that, like, for farmers, it's not about answering, like, anything about climate change. It's about the fact that some of these practices make sense for the current climate status, right? That it makes sense that if your rainfall is changing or whatever it is, it doesn't matter necessarily why it's happening. Farmers need to adapt to it. And so they're implementing these practices. And so I felt like they, in this article, were trying to make it political and the farmers were trying to make it practical. And that was what I was saying. That is such a good way to put it, is that they are focusing on the political And in truth, it is the practical because he said, our goal is to have a better environment, a better place to live, a healthier society and a free world. That's all we want. I think anyhow, we want to live a good life and have the next generation do the same. And so it goes back to, I think, big point. What I would, I guess, want to highlight from my, from my mouth about this article is that, you know, however you frame it, however you question it, whatever you tack onto it at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because the farmer will always choose the right practice for their operation, whether it is quote unquote regenerative or not called that to them. Like, no, whatever you label it or whatever we label it doesn't change what we're doing. And that's kind of what I talk about in my keynote is just that are the labels doing more harm? Because at the end of the day, we're going to choose the practice that is best, like best for the soil. They talked a lot about soil health, which I really enjoyed and just overall land stewardship, like management. Yeah, I think this article really, really wanted to like use labels in every way. Red state, right? Like right off the bat was red state versus blue state. It was climate activists versus like farmer, like everything that regenerative versus conventional. And I felt like the farmers just kept going back to exactly what you said. This is what made sense for my farm. And that's why I adopted these practices. And we're trying to like strip the labels a little bit. Um, I do think we asked at the very beginning why we think this article is written. And I think we can't forget right now, um, for those of you guys who do know and those of you who don't, the farm bill is coming up next year. And I think that was kind of what it was about because one of the parts they talked about was the climate smart ag practices where there's a lot of funding getting put behind incentives for farmers to you know implement these climate smart practices. And it is the most popular piece of climate policy 
across all constituents. Over 82% of respondents express support for this funding from cover crops to uh, soil carbon boosting practices. And so I think that maybe was what it was about is like drawing attention, awareness, so that more funding can be put behind this. And like, obviously, if you're a politician, you're looking for like, what does a wide sweeping of people agree with? And if 82% of people agree with the climate smart practices, you're probably going to be thinking, how can we add more of those in the farm bill so that I, you know, look good for my constituents? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One thing I didn't like about this article, like going back to the backhanded compliment, I think what rubbed me wrong is they made it sound like this farmer that they interviewed is unique. Like his practices are very unique. They quote unquote said he is an evangelist for this style of farming. And I think if you read this article without a lot of understanding or connection to the, to the agriculture industry or to farmers and ranchers, you would think that not a lot of people are practicing quote unquote regenerative practices. And I think that's what bothered me the most because going back to what we have said multiple times now is almost every single farmer and rancher is practicing regenerative practices. It just looks different. And sometimes they're not even calling them regenerative. I remember asking Luke when I was creating my keynote, I said, do you consider yourself a regenerative rancher? Like, would you call yourself that? And he was like, no, but I had listed out on a certain slide, all of the regenerative practices we do in our operation. And I was like, look at everything we do though. And you still wouldn't call yourself that. And he was like, no, I, I wouldn't call myself that. And so I think the bigger picture needs to be understood that regenerative isn't like this new buzzword that I think a lot of people think it is like, this is just a name, a new name for longstanding practices of their industry. And I don't think the the article did a good job of conveying that. Uh, no, I think they very intentionally didn't. There's a quote that's a community of farmers who use regenerative methods is pretty small. I completely disagree with that. I think the amount of farmers doing practices that are regenerative is actually really large and it's a spectrum. Maybe not everyone is doing everything, but I think a lot of farmers are doing something and they're, it's not as simple as like flipping a switch either. You're not just like suddenly regenerative, right? Like there is costs and analysis that have to go into this. But one of the things I noted was they were talking about how much like regenerative farmers do soil sampling. And this is just one example. As a person who has done more soil birds or boars, soil boars. Clearly I'm two glasses of wine deep at this point. Um, All farmers are doing soil sampling, right? Or I I guess I shouldn't say all, but like majority of farmers are doing that. And so to like paint it in this article as only regenerative farmers are doing that was very frustrating. Um, On a completely unrelated note, there was one single sentence that I thought was interesting, and it was the critics of no-till or regenerative ag um, saying that regenerative ag or no-till is not a climate solution because it can create less yield, which means that we would need more farmland in order to produce the same amount of food, which is not climate friendly. And considering it was a single sentence, I was like, why did you put that in there? Even if you weren't going to explore it anymore, like what point did it serve? But at the same time, I was like, I'm glad, I guess they highlighted like one differing viewpoint, I guess, of this entire thing of like how sometimes when you implement regenerative practices, you can have reduced yields. Well, I think it was going to further stereotype and dissect out regenerative for conventional and like hone that narrative that conventional just carries about like yield more, 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 more. And regenerative is willing to 
shoulder the decrease for the benefit. Like I think it was intentional to further divide and to Mm. further divide. Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, that's all I had on that article. Any final thoughts? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving again. I really hope for all of you that are listening. um, I feel like I am envisioning a lot of people listening while they are traveling and while they are moving about the country, visiting friends and family or coming home from visiting friends and family. So safe travels. Hope everyone had an amazing start to this wonderful holiday season. Thank you for spending your Thanksgiving and days after with us here on Discover. And we will see you guys on Tuesday for a very personal episode uh, where we are giving lots of advice, best advice that we've been given and advice from different notable people throughout history while we drink a couple glasses of wine. So join us then. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.